Hello, welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. I, of course, am Shannon, and I'm actually deviating from my plan. I originally recorded a bunch of these episodes before even launching the podcast, and I wanted to move into an episode on lumber grading next. You'll notice in episode one in the glossary, I specifically avoided terms like number one common and FAS and such because I've got a whole episode dedicated to grading. However, current events have forced me to push that off an episode because I wanted to talk about Notre Dame. This, to a woodworker, heck, to a human being, the fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is just heartbreaking. And it's one of those things where it's funny to see all of the vacation photos and things coming out of people standing in front of Notre Dame. I remember when I was there, I don't really. Um, I mean, I do, but I was too young to really appreciate it. And I definitely was not a woodworker at the time. And it absolutely breaks my heart to think of not being able to go there and see it from today's perspective, from the perspective of a woodworker. Now, Certainly, there's going to be a major effort to rebuild this, and hopefully it will be restored to its original beauty. But here's the thing. We probably would have never seen, you know, the average tourist would have never really seen the the truss work in, at the roof that really burned, what they call the forest up there. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put a positive spin on this, and hopefully the restoration, no one will ever even notice. But... It has raised a lot of interesting questions in the lumber industry about how can this be rebuilt. Now let's let's step back a little bit and let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame and you know when it was built and let's talk about some of the specs. This is all the stuff that many of you have probably read and all the coverage that's happened in the last week since the fire happened. But the roof that burnt, that's really what caused the fire, that you know, many hundred year old dry timber in the roof just went up like a Roman candle. This roof was built in 1220 with, at the time, 300-year-old French oak trees. Each one of these beams, because they were so incredibly long, because of that 50-degree Gothic roof angle, each one of those trees was, excuse me, each one of those beams was a single tree, basically hewed into a cant and used as a massive beam which counting it all up, there was something like 13,000 French oaks used for the beams in the forest. Again, that is the, the structure up at the roof there. So one tree per beam of just these massive giant old growth oaks, just a, a sight to behold. And there's certainly some images floating around now of that forest area of the roof. And you really get a feel for just how much we're talking about. It's said that the carpenters at the time cleared 21 hectares, it's about 51 acres, was cleared to get all of the material for that roof. That is a lot of lumber. I mean, you just imagine in 1220 what we're talking about here. Of course, the, the crazy thing is, is the timber framing techniques they used really in many ways is the same techniques that timber framers use today. Now, they may be using chain mortisers and, you know, big circular saws and things like that, but it's still the exact same joinery in many ways, still cut a, a lot the same way with adzes and chisels and boring machines sped up, like I said, with a few of those other uh, tools, but really the exact same techniques. What's crazy, though, is going upstream of this and thinking about that 21 hectares of forest that was cleared 
This, what today that would have been done with chainsaws and you know a lot of modern technology. This was a bunch of guys with axes, and then hauling all that material and and hewing it into cants and lifting it up into the roof. There, it's just just mind blowing to think about that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about French oak. Now I understand there was a little bit of chestnut used in there, but primarily what we're talking about is oak, specifically French oak, Quercus robur. Um, it's sometimes known as European oak, uh, English oak sometimes. French oak, I think, is what it's been come to come to be known as in the um, more recent term in more recent years as a market term. We get uh, at, at Jacobs and McElvain, we often get requests for French oak on a lot of very highfalutin homes where they're looking for um, th- that slightly different character of the oak. Frankly, I think what happens more often than not is an architect has specced it and said, ooh, it's French oak. And it becomes very much a keeping up with the Joneses thing. Because when you put European oak, French oak, side by side with American white oak, it's gonna be very difficult to tell them apart. There are some very subtle differences in the pore structure and the size of the rayfleck and a little bit of the color, but again, color can be so varied from species to species. So really what we are talking about is, is white oak. For those of us in North America, what we're gonna be familiar with is white oak. Now I should add that I said earlier there was some talk out there some being some chestnut in there as well. And what I wonder if it was actually chestnut or if it was actually chestnut oak, Quercus prenus. It's hard to say. I think chestnut oak is much more of an eastern United States species. I actually don't know when people say chestnut if what they're referring to. Was it an American chestnut? Is that found in Europe? I'm not exactly sure. That may be something to look into later. But for all intents and purposes and all the reports that I've seen, mostly what we're talking about is that uh, French oak, the Quercus robur. So let's compare that to, to white oak. And I, I will say as well that I have an episode already recorded downstream where we're going to talk a little bit more about the technical specifications and what they mean, because I will reference them a lot when I start highlighting species and talking about them. And by technical specs, I'm referring to hardness and modulus of rupture and, and stiffness and crushing strength and all these fun things. Um, so l- let's look at English oak, first of all, as compared to white oak. English oak has a jank hardness of uh, 1120 pounds per square inch, whereas white oak is 1350. So they're very similar, but a little bit softer on the English oak. The density is a little bit less dense of English oak than white oak, but it's it's very much a negligible uh, difference there. The real difference that we talk about is the availability of of the material. Crushing strength, uh, MOR, MOE, modulus of rupture, modulus of elasticity, um, specific gravity, a lot of the the shrinkage numbers are very, very similar between the two species. So again, if you have some familiarity working with white oak, Quercus alba, you're gonna have a good understanding of what English or French or you know sometimes Royal Oak it's referred to, but that gets into a little bit more of the British Isles and brown oak, even though brown oak is technically more of a stained oak than a specific species. As you can see, oak can get really confusing and there's a lot of these marketing and trade names and things that go with it. But from a woodworking perspective, French oak, think of white oak. It's gonna be very, very similar, except the availability. 
Now, French oak is found all across Europe, you know, all of Western Europe and then running up into Russia and Russia and the boreal forests of Russia and the far east of Russia over on the Kamchatka Peninsula is really where a lot of this oak is coming from today. But the availability of it, even though it's widespread, these are small trees. Um, when we spec white oak here in North America, we're specking wide boards, 8, 12, 15, 20 inch wide boards and long, long links, uh, 20, sometimes 25 foot long links. Very easy to get 12, 15 footers in, in just common stock. If we take that spec, like the times when we've been asked for French oak by some of our customers and we go to some of our partners over in Europe and bring this white oak spec, they basically laugh at us. There is just no way to get that kind of width and no way to get that kind of length. For the most part, European oak is really a flooring species and the specs are very similar to that, like number two common grade and very small cutting sizes. And again, we're gonna get into this actually in the next episode with grades, but six inches is about the max width and eight feet long boards can actually be really hard to obtain. More often than not, the specs we get back from our European partners are, we can give you maybe four to six with an average of four inch width and six to eight with an average of six feet in length. So. Think about that now, that is the common availability. And this is not an issue where the sawmills are sawing to meet a specific grade. They're getting the best they can out of these smaller trees. So now think back to what they used in Notre Dame. We're talking eight by eight, 12 by 12 beams, but more importantly, not even so much the width, it's the length. They had whole trees that in some instances, you know, no scarf joints in there running 30, 40 feet long in these beams. This is just heartbreaking because there's just no way, there's nowhere that material is available today. French oak is widespread, but it just will not make that cutting grade anymore. Now, there have been a whole lot of rumors unsubstantiated talk on the internet in the last you know week or so about where people are going to get the oak and of course you know the french president is very big on let's get this done you know five six years we're going to get it done and we'll figure it out there was one guy on twitter that like started this whole crazy well what turns out to be a rumor now but that the oaks at Versailles, the Palace of Versailles, and I'm sure you've seen the image. If you haven't seen it in person, there's this long, just beautiful uh, road that's just lined with these gorgeous hundred-year-old French oaks. There is talk that the Palace of Versailles planted those oaks with the specific goal of being able to rebuild Notre Dame should a disaster happen. Now, it turns out that the Palace of Versailles has since come out and officially said, hell no. <laughs> can't touch our oaks. That was never our intention. That is total myth. However, the original claim that this one guy on Twitter, who I think is some sort of emergency management position, that he went to a conference and there was talk that many of these cities with historic landmarks have 100 year long disaster recovery plans. Whether or not it was talked about at this particular thing at Oxford or not, I don't know, but I did a little bit of digging in this, and this is true. Many of these European cities that have these just priceless historical landmarks do have quite substantial 
recovery plans, disaster management plans in place. And, um, you know, you can look at things like the Forest of Dean in Britain was specifically planted for the British Navy. You know, let's let's start growing some oaks that we use for our ships. It turns out, obviously, things like steel ships came along and it wasn't really a big deal. But there are many instances, if you look throughout a lot of these old cities, where this is true, where someone has said, we need to be aware that if this burnt down, we don't have enough stone, we don't have enough timber or whatever in order to rebuild it. So let's start planting it, cultivating it, stockpiling it. And I think stockpiling is more the solution that people have come up with. Now, as far as this relates to Notre Dame, I don't know whether anything like that exists. No one has come out and said anything about it other than to say that the Versailles uh, Oaks is definitely not it. But let's just suspend that for a minute. Let's say that this is true. Let's say that some groundskeeper 100 years ago, you know, basically once the, the, the fires of the French Revolution in the 1780s, 1790s, 1789, wasn't it? I don't know, I have to go back and listen to Les Miserables again. But um, the the 1780s, the whole reign of terror, Robespierre overthrowing and everything, and the fires and the the statues and everything being beheaded at at Notre Dame. Back then, some Versailles gardener said, you know what, I'm going to plant some oaks in case they ever need to rebuild that. And he started planting them and say that was always the plan. Say the Palace of Versailles was fully willing to, to give up their oaks. In the court of public opinion in 2019, what are the chances of that actually happening? How many ecological lobby groups would descend upon Paris, crying for the heads of the French president and the French government, how dare you cut down such a priceless treasure? And one might say that the Versailles Oak is its own historical landmark. So do we cut down one historical landmark? Do we destroy one historical landmark to rebuild another historical landmark? Which one is more important? Well, I suppose if you asked God, I don't know what God would say. Would God prize the trees more than the, the, the church? I'd like to think that God would prize the trees more than some building. But now we're getting into a really deep conversation. It has nothing to do with the lumber industry. But my point is, these things do happen. There are plantations, there are forests that are specifically put there for a reason. The reason being to be cut down, to be used for lumber for some reason or another. But the lifespan required for these plans and the way that just public opinion changes over time, I guarantee you there is no way the French government would cut down this forest in order to build Notre Dame. Now, we do quite a bit of business with with, uh, brokerages and, and import dealers and things like that in France, and specifically the Parisian attitude can be a bit stubborn at times. I have a couple French friends. I don't want to offend anybody, but there is a certain jingoistic pride of the French that may say, no, we do it no matter what. You know, that was my that was my French accent. Can you tell? And they may say that we're going to absolutely restore this. You know, it does not matter what we're going to cut down. I highly doubt that that would ever happen. There is just no way in today's sensitive society, anyone's gonna let you cut down an entire forest. And even if I were to be a total jerk about it and say, no, that's what it was intended, I love trees too much. You know, I'm hardly considering myself to be a tree hugger, but at the same time, I would hate to see those beautiful oaks at Versailles cut down for this. Because the fact is, can't we rebuild Notre Dame maintain the same historical significance, maintain the same accurate beauty and carvings and architecture while using some modern techniques? 
aka some fire resistant techniques. And when we're talking about the forest, again, call it the attic, the part that nobody saw that burnt down, what's saying they can't just use some fire resistant LVL up there um, to, to do this or other fire um, retardant products and certainly a fire suppression system would be useful and it would all be hidden behind the scenes because if, if you've been to Notre Dame mostly what you're seeing is stone there's a lot of stone in there and of course that's a lot of what's standing so it seems to me that the whole thing could be rebuilt and we can sidestep this whole issue of where are we going to get the wood um, because we can use some engineered products to get there and still maintain a lot of that original historical vibe, if you will. Now, I'm speaking from an uninformed place because I'm not an architect, I'm not a construction engineer here, but I'm pretty certain that that is going to probably happen. I mean, certainly historical um, buildings, construction do have some grandfathering when it comes to having to meet certain codes, but there's also a point where the destruction or the reconstruction violates any grandfathering so you know if you're just adding on to something you can get away with with not meeting a particular code but if you're having to rebuild something entirely i think a lot of those building codes exist now i'm speaking from a north american specifically united states perspective i have no idea what building codes in france are like but one wouldn't think they'd be that much different certainly when it comes to fire prevention in a major tourist city at a major tourist attraction so i have to believe that whether or not they were to, to, they would have the the cojones to cut down a beautiful forest of the Palace of Versailles is kind of irrelevant because somewhere some architect is going to say this is stupid, folks. We've got to build this so that it's fire resistant. We've got to build this using better um, better materials. Because here's the other thing: those are hundred year old oaks at Versailles when they were you know based on when they were planted. They might not even be big enough for what they need to rebuild that that roof. So I think we're just gonna have to sidestep that whole issue. But here's the other thing, and let's get into lumber industry here. If you were to buy a large volume of French oak now, forgetting the fact that they're not gonna be able to hit those length specs or those width specs, say it were available. Today, where it would come from would be Russia, specifically Far Eastern Russia. That's where the French oak is coming from. And French oak today is primarily a flooring product. I said that before, especially because of the smaller sizes, the cutting size you get would squarely put it as a number two common grade, which is what flooring uses. Because there's only one face visible in flooring and it's a lot of narrow widths and short lengths pieced together to make a tongue and groove floor. So if you buy French oak today, it's generally French oak flooring. Like if you were to Google and start typing French oak, Google would autocomplete with French oak flooring. I would not buy it. I definitely would not buy it. The Russian French oak trade is riven with illegal logging. And if you were to look at a map, look at the far east of Russia, look at the Kamchatka Peninsula. The border is with China. On the Chinese side of that border, towns like Shufine, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, Shufen, I'm not sure. Most of the towns along that border are logging towns. Their entire reason for existing is logging towns. Pull up Google Earth, Google Maps, go to a satellite view and zoom in on the towns on the Chinese side of that border and you will see stacks and stacks of logs and train cars filled with logs. Those towns exist 
to turn logs into boards. And where do you think they're getting their logs, folks? They're getting them from the Boreal Forests of Russia. And they're carting them across the border, turning them into boards so that they're harder to track. And in many instances, turning them into furniture and selling them to the North American market. It's lumber laundering at its finest. Take that you know, $20, turn it into a product, move that product over here, turn the product back into $20, and you just laundered that money. Same thing is happening, except you can't turn that furniture back into a log. You just laundered that log. Um, from a protected forest or a private forest in Russia. If you were to, the, if, you know, the autocomplete Google would go to, to French oak flooring, dig like one character deeper, and all you are going to find about French oak or Russian oak is stories about how it's all illegal. Now, there may be some of it coming out of there that is legal, but Lumber Liquidators just got in trouble for this. Lumber Liquidators was indicted and sentenced under the Lacey Act for bringing illegal Russian oak in. And here's the thing, you know, illegal logging happens. I know that there's a lot of ways to buy legal logs. And if you are a, an ethical company and you're following chain of custody and you're keeping your documentation, you can buy legally. There's no question. But there are a lot of people out there who don't care or can be bribed at the border. And this laundering is happening in a big, big way in Far East Russia with these oak logs. So if they were to buy a large quantity of French oak, I guarantee you it would be illegal. If not all of it, part of it. And here's the thing, the EUTR, the European Union Timber Regulation, uh, kind of like the Lacey Act, US Lacey Act, uh, it's the European version of it. EUTR regs, they do monitor local laws and crossing borders, but it's a little bit more lax than US Lacey. And hopefully not to offend anybody, but where I found it the most lax is in France. It just doesn't get paid as much attention in France. Um, because they are firmly in Western Europe and they're surrounded by a lot of other Western Europe countries. So the border crossing type of thing, they're far enough away from where the illegal logging is happening that maybe the checks and balances aren't where they need to be. So I actually hope they do use an engineered product because I would worry about illegal logging and deforesting private land and unethical logging practices and unecological silvicultural practices in order to get this much French oak. So it's my hope that they actually use engineered materials because then at least we can maybe try to stop some of the stuff that's going on with the French oak market because there's very little of the French oak market that I would consider something that I would ever, at least speaking from the, the, the perspective as an employee of a lumber company, we want nothing to do with the stuff because there's just no way to trace the chain of custody. And it puts it puts way too much of a question mark, which would put us in direct violation of the US Lacey Act. So yeah, not a good thing. It's something to think about there as people say, well, where are we gonna get this wood? I think the solution is not to get the wood at all because there's just too many questions there. So can modern materials be used without sacrificing the history and the beauty? Can the import regulations be trusted to actually use the lumber? And will national pride allow anything but original materials? And what links will be taken to make that happen? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but from the lumber industry perspective, we're kind of throwing up our hands and saying, you know what, guys, you're not gonna find this lumber. 
you need to go a different route. You need to use an engineer material and focus on the the beauty and trying to make it look like the original while hiding the magic modern technology behind the scenes. So that's it for me, guys. Um, because this episode was never meant to be released, uh, because obviously we didn't know that Notre Dame, this horrible tragedy was going to happen. Um, I, you know, the first couple episodes, I make no mention of this because it didn't happen, but I did actually launch a Patreon page to support this podcast. So if you go to patreon.com slash lumber update, or just look in the, um, the nav bar on lumberupdate.com, you'll see a link to that. Um, I really appreciate everybody who's supported me so far. If you'd like to support the show, go to Patreon. It's a great way to support the show. And I do want to say thank you. There's a lot of names at first, but I want to say thank you to Wes, Keith, Mark, Johnny V, William, Rob, Kyle, Darth Rust, love that name, Jordan, Ken, Matt, Jerry, Bill, Ed, Kyle, Steve, William, another Steve, another Kyle, and Christina for supporting me at the $5 level. I really, really appreciate that. And and please, I, I would love continued support on this. There's a couple of goals there um, to take this show to weekly instead of bi-weekly. If we hit that, I will happily give you a lumber update every single week. So um, you won't hear about this Patreon episode, uh, thing for a while because of the other pre-recorded episodes that didn't exist at the time, but I figured I would just drop that in there and uh, say also that the podcast is now in all the major libraries. So just about every podcatcher out there should be able to pick it up and you can listen on all your fancy newfangled devices so thanks everybody um again absolutely gutted heartbroken by this notre dame thing but there's some real interesting questions from a lumber industry perspective that i think uh, still need to be answered hope you enjoyed the show i'll see you next time